So th- this week we are, we are beginning a new series, uh, just a little mini-series through July called This Is Us. Uh, and Matthew Audley's made this beautiful little image here. If you get a chance, okay, try to zoom it in, into it on Facebook or wherever it goes, okay, because there's lots of little pictures of lots of you guys in the middle of it, okay? It's a, he's a real talented guy. Go say thank you to him afterwards. Um, basically, this, this uh, series is going to cover the length of time that our minister and his family are off sunning themselves across the Atlantic. Um, meanwhile, those of us who take the church seriously are going to be here, okay? Um, and we're going to be thinking about four of the metaphors that we find in the Bible for the church. I'm just moving that so I don't trip over something, okay, when I'm up here. So this is some of the ways that we are described as, as God's people, how the, how the church is described within God's word. So this week we're thinking about being the flock. And then we'll go on to think about the church as the body of Christ, the family of God, and finally the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lots of us, lots of what we hear over these next few weeks won't be new to us. And that's okay. But it's not permission to switch off, right? It's okay that it's stuff that we might have heard before. Timeless truths will always be timeless truths. And God's word, when we read it, is alive and is powerful. And whether we're reading that for the first or the 51st time, he can speak his word and his life into us. So we're going to learn more about who we are, what God has created in this church. We'll learn about our roles, what God has for us, what place he has for us within this. And we're going to learn about our need for each other. Why the church is a we, always a we, and not just for I. Most of all, we'll learn more about our relationship with God. What it means for Jesus to be our good shepherd and for us to be his sheep. What it means to be part of his good design for his body. How we relate to this cornerstone that holds us all together. How we are the dwelling place for his Holy Spirit. My big hope is that as we remind ourselves of these truths, that his light will shine brighter and we'll be drawn closer into relationship with our Savior. So this week we begin by looking at this really well-known passage from John chapter 10. I think it's best for us to break it down a little bit before we get into exactly what God is saying to us. So there's a, a clear structure to John 10, to Jesus' words here. And he begins by sharing a short sort of parable, um, or what, he calls a, a, what the Bible calls a figure of speech. And it's verses 1 to 5. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So the first thing to note about this is that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. We're going to be learning a lot about ourselves, who we are, but initially this, this uh, speech of Jesus is, is directed at the religious leaders of the time. 
And the context here is of the previous chapter, John chapter 9, where Jesus has healed a blind man on the Sabbath. So this is seen as a bit of a no-no. The Sabbath was very, very special. Um, The Pharisees investigate this healing. They question the formerly blind man and his parents, and, and eventually they throw him out because he claims that Jesus is of God, while they are unwilling to see this. So here we see Jesus speaking to these Pharisees who do not see who Jesus is, who are blind to who Jesus is. And it's in the context of the formerly blind man who, having met Jesus, now sees, both physically and spiritually. And Jesus then lays out this example of the sheep pen. There's a distinct contrast here between the robbers and thieves who have to climb in and the shepherd who comes in through the gate. The shepherd comes through the gate, calls his sheep by name. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice, whereas they run away from the stranger. Now, speaking about a shepherd and sheep is very familiar language to the people in those days. It was, it was a relevant illustration because that was commonplace. But it was also significant because the Pharisees would know the Old Testament significance of this shepherd and sheep dynamic. They would know the concept of the shepherd being a royal caretaker for God's people. This is language that's throughout the Psalms. Obviously in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But also 78, 79, 100, 119, it's in there. And in Isaiah 53, we read, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. So the the sheep and the shepherd language is common to them. And it would have been clear that the sheep Jesus spoke of were Jesus' people. Sorry, God's people. The shepherd was used to describe the one set over them to protect and guide them. And obviously this includes God himself. Ezekiel 34 tells us, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. That's words of God to the prophet. At times it also meant earthly leaders who God put in place, who didn't always do as they should. In Jeremiah 23, we read, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. So the Pharisees would have grasped this concept of the sheep and the shepherd, but verse verse 6 then tells us that they don't understand what Jesus is saying. So he goes on to explain, and that makes up then verses 7 onwards. And we have two of Jesus' infamous I am statements. I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. There are seven of these I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus says that I am the bread of life, the light of the world, gate for the sheep, the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. And these are big claims. They have relevance to Old Testament prophecies and and the characteristics of God, and they draw an expansive picture as to who Jesus is and what he has come to do and and what the relationship is for us to Jesus. And they also hark back to Exodus 3, right at the beginning of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, in Exodus 3, where God speaks to Moses through the burning bush. 
He tells them to free the Israelites, to go and free his people, to go and take them out of slavery in Egypt. And there, God tells Moses, I am who I am. And to tell Pharaoh that I am has sent me to you. This I am was a name for the almighty God. So interestingly, these two I am statements in John 10 come just moments after the Pharisees have been hurting insults at the blind man in chapter 9. And where the Pharisees say to the blind man, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. So they claim to follow Moses. So while Jesus is explaining who he is in this little parable, he includes the name that God gave Moses for himself. Sometimes when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees throughout the Gospels, it seems like he's trying to wind them up on purpose if they read into what he's saying. So we come to these two I am statements. And this morning we're going to think about what Jesus is saying with these two statements and then what that means for us being his sheep. So we're going to think about Jesus saying, I am the gate, Jesus saying, I am the shepherd, and then what does that mean for us as his flock? So firstly, he says that he is the gate. In verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to, st- to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is the gate to the sheep pen. A sheep pen is pretty much exactly what we would imagine it to be. It had high walls, so the sheep can't get out of the pen, and it has this one gate by which the sheep can enter and leave. The shepherd would guide the sheep in at night so they could sleep in safety, and he would guard them by the gate. And then he would lead, lead them out to pasture, to graze during the day. So for the sheep, passing through this gate, this gate leads to security on one side, and to provision on the other. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Security. And they will come in and go out and find pasture, the provision. This is what Jesus offers. He offers life. He's the gate by which we enter and we are saved. And he's also the gate through which we pass and receive all that we need. Life to the full. The ESV puts it as abundantly. And the sharp contrast is offered as to what else is out there outside the gate. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So it's not a case of, well, life is better in the gate. Life is better in Jesus. That, that's, that's not what it is. The opposite of life through the gate is not less security, less provision. The opposite to life through the gate, the opposite to life in Jesus is being the victim of the thief, the murderer, the destroyer of all things good and true. 
let's be clear, it's not simply better on one side of the gate and not so great on the other. Being in the gate is the difference between steal, kill, and destroy and life to the full. Jesus is making it clear that there's a sharp contrast to being in the gate and outside the gate, and there's a sharp contrast to being in the gate and those who attack the sheep in the pen. Because this is coming just moments after the Pharisees have thrown out the formerly blind man who claims he is a disciple of Jesus. He has come through the gate. And these Pharisees, these thieves, robbers, are coming to steal, kill, and destroy this newly found sheep who's come into the pen. And note what verse 8 says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. The man whose sight was healed did not listen to the Pharisees. He trusted the one who had brought his eyesight back, who had brought abundant life to him. So Jesus claims that he is the gate, the only one way to security and to provision, to life and life to the full. And then he goes on to claim that he is the good shepherd. From verse 11 we read, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So we've talked about this shepherd and sheep dynamic that the audience would have appreciated from the Old Testament scriptures. The Pharisees would understand this dynamic. But Jesus goes then a step further with this claim. You see, a Palestine shepherd would have known that they'd be risking their well-being for the sheep. But they wouldn't expect to lose their lives. By all means, it was dangerous work. We read that from uh, Jacob in Genesis and from David in 1 Samuel. They talk about the danger of, of being a shepherd. But they didn't expect to die in protection of the flock. Here Jesus claims to be the good shepherd and then says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, at, at this moment in time, the listeners didn't have the benefit of, of what we have in seeing that nine chapters later, Jesus dies on the cross for us. It's what's wonderful about having this beautiful book in our hands with its powerful living words. We get the benefit of the full story. We know that Jesus goes on to die on the cross for us, his sheep. We know he does it willingly as the good shepherd. And Jesus goes on to talk about the hired hand who is not the shepherd and how he will just abandon the sheep. He talks about the wolf who attacks and scatters the flock. We don't have clear explanation for these two people mentioned, but they may be talking about some of the under-shepherds that Jesus appointed over his people in the past who let them down and let God down. And about those who attack the church from outside or from within to break up our unity. We can't say for sure. But it does raise a picture of how we need to be on guard 
knowing that our good shepherd is the only one who we can fully rely on, who will always provide and always protect when we need him. I read this passage during the week uh, from Leslie Newbigin speaking on this chapter in John. And he said, world history is full of the records of those who have aspired to and achieved rule. For the most part, they have been brigands and destroyed the flock, not shepherds who tended and nourished it. It's not surprising that leadership has become a term of abuse and has become a term of abuse and that those who try to exercise leadership are almost universally presumed to be corrupt. This was 40 years ago, by the way. Sounds pretty up to date. The mark of the true leader is that of the cross. This is the only proof that Paul offers when his apostolic calling is questioned. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. If they put their own safety before the safety of the flock, they are no true shepherds but hirelings, and the coming of the true shepherd exposes them for what they are. In John 21, we read as well about Jesus having breakfast at the shore with Peter after his resurrection when he's come back. Three times he asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes. And after each time, he tells Peter to feed my sheep. A godly leader isn't a hired hand, not somebody who's in it for themselves and who will run away at the first sign of trouble, the first sign of there not being something in it for themselves. A godly leader follows Jesus' example of sacrifice and his command to feed his sheep. Verse 14 goes on to add, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Here Jesus moves on to talk about the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep and therefore the relationship between us and our shepherd Jesus. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Relationship is at the center of this dynamic between the shepherd and the sheep. And this links to what we heard in the original parable about the sheep listening to his voice and knowing his voice. I love the end of verse 3. He calls them by name and leads them out. Isn't that just stunning? That's, that's you. That's me. All of us who've come to know Jesus, he calls us by name. One summer's day, actually multiple summer's day, in the late 1980s, possibly the start of the 1990s, Jesus called me by name at Holy Bible Clubs, actually. Jesus knows my name. Jesus knows your name. And he calls us out. The good shepherd, the gate, the bread of life, the light of the world, the way, the truth, the life, the great I am knows my name and knows your name and calls you to him. Just as the Father, just as he knows, the Father and the Father knows him, he called me by name and he laid down his life for me and for you. So what does this 
mean for us then, being his flock? I think there are five important points for us to take away from this. They are that we have security. We are dependent on him. We know his voice. We follow and obey. And we are to be united. Don't worry, each of these points is not as long as the other points. Firstly, we have security. To be a sheep in in Jesus' flock is to be secure. There is but one gate to come in and out of the fold, and that gate is Jesus. He's the one who put his body on the line to protect us to the point of death. He's the gate. He is the way for us. He's the good shepherd who protects us. So this means assurance of our place in his flock and the knowledge of his presence to protect us from the thief and the robber and the wolf. It also probably protects us from ourselves. Sheep are notoriously um, a little bit dumb. Studies now would say they're actually quite smart animals, but they do really dumb things. Um, And that's quite a good metaphor and quite apt for us as well, probably, but we'll not get into that. Secondly, we are dependent on Christ. Now, primarily, we're dependent on him for our security, for our place in his fold. But we're also, also completely dependent on him for all that we have in life. The sheep follow the shepherd into the pen where they are locked in. And unless then the shepherd comes, opens the gate, and takes them to pasture, they will be unfed. They need the provision of the pasture which the shepherd takes them to. All we have comes from God's provision. He's the shepherd who takes us to pasture. And praise God, he not only offers to provide for us, but he offers in abundance, generously, life and to the full. Thirdly, his sheep know his voice. They listen, they follow, they run from the stranger because they know the shepherd's voice. We were looking at prayer recently in the Practicing the Way course, And part of that was practicing listening to God's voice. And I hope that was really helpful for many of us. Primarily, we know God's voice by getting to know his word, by getting into the Bible. This book is God-breathed scripture, okay? It's in the pews, it's in your phones. It is God-breathed scripture. It's alive, it's powerful, It speaks Jesus from the first page right through till the end. We need to learn to know his voice by studying his word, by spending time in God's word. Stuart spent the last three weeks speaking to us uh, on the deeper series, going deeper. And last week he was encouraging us to take the opportunity of the summer to put in place a plan, a pattern, and a practice. I know for some of us, We've been hearing about that for years, but we maybe think, well, that's, that's great, and that sounds ideal, and that's like you know, the aim to get to, but it's not really for normal me. It's not, it's not for Joe Bloggs. It's for like the, the special people who are really good at this stuff. It's not for the normal people. As a little encouragement for you, maybe a bit of a challenge. This past week, I continued to meet with somebody who we've been reading the Bible together. Uh, they're a fairly new Christian, and we've met over 70 times to do that now. 
I also heard about a young person who was meeting a leader to start up a Bible reading program just as school was ending. As they were setting down their books, they were going to pick up this book. How beautiful is that? These are pretty normal people. These aren't leaders. So there's a challenge for you. And on that note, I have an invisible gift for you because I forgot to bring it down from my office, okay? Or at least a gift for up to 27 of you, okay? Um, this, this past week, I saw an offer, and I, I use this, these little devotionals myself. Uh, I use ebook versions, but I saw an offer that was, that was great for these, these little devotionals in paper version. So I've bought 24 of them, okay? They're on different books of the Bible. Um, I find them really helpful. It's, it's, it's just what, I, what has clicked for me. It might work for some of you. Um, if you would like a devotional to start a reading plan, most of them have kind of 30 days in there. Um, come, I will bring them down from the office. They will be here, okay? <laughs> Imagine them here, okay? Come to this box and pick one out. There's 20 of these about different books in the Bible, so 24. Then there's one as well for new Christians. If you're a new Christian and you have no idea what this is all about, come and get that. Have we chat to me? Um, if you just struggle with devotional reading, you don't know where to start, there's one for that as well. Come and see me. Come and, come and take it. Uh, there's also one on prayer, um, these are free. Come and get them, okay? Please use them. There's no point in them sitting on my desk, cluttering that up. Take them and use them, okay? One condition, and it's a very selfish one. If you take one, commit to sending me a message at some stage over the summer, okay? Just tell me something you've read that has encouraged you or that was, that was new to you that you didn't know or that was just a wonderful truth about God that you were reminded of. Because that's what God does when we get into his word. He encourages us. He teaches us. He reminds us of who he is. This point of us knowing God's voice is so vitally important. We need to know his voice so that we we hear him when he speaks to us. We know what he's saying. And we also need to know his voice so that we do not recognize the stranger's voice. There are many strangers out there whose voice can easily be mistaken for our Lord's. Especially when we don't know Jesus' voice. When we don't know it well enough. We live in a world now where it's more dangerous than ever and we just swipe on our phones and new content is there which isn't curated by a minister. It's, it's not queued up by someone who wants the best for you. Our kids' feeds aren't set up by Lauren and the youth team. They aren't inspired by the goodness of God. We don't get to check out an author's background or find out if we agree on the same creeds. And that's just within Christian content. What sounds a lot like sound Bible teaching can often be spiritually abusive or prosperity-driven or just downright heretical or complete and utter nonsense. So more than ever, we need to know the voice of God. We need to know his voice so that we recognize it. We can discern when we're hearing it and we can discern when it's the voice of a stranger and we should run from it. It's back to this list. Um, being the flock, we have security. We are dependent on Christ and we know his voice. So fourthly, we will follow and obey. 
our good shepherd. Verse 4 says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So when we know our, our Savior's voice, our shepherd's voice, we can recognize it and we will run from the stranger and we will follow our Lord. Knowing this voice allows us to have a discerning ear, but then we need the next step where we have an obedient heart to follow. The parable tells us that the sheep follow the shepherd as they would have. That's, that's how it worked then. They learn that they are safe with the shepherd, that he's going to provide for them, so they trust him and they, they follow behind. They'll be provided for and they're safe, so they follow the voice of the one they know and trust. Let's be honest, we know these things too. We know that God provides security and provision for us, but we don't always follow. I warned you at the start that there will be a lot of things that we'll be learning that won't be new for us. It's a crazy fact, but very little that you hear on a Sunday is going to be brand new, especially if you've been a disciple of Jesus for a while. But that doesn't mean we, need to, we don't need to hear it over and over again to be reminded again and again of the truth that is in this word. God will still enlighten us it's true and alive and powerful in its own right. Not because it's going to tickle our brain cells and we're going to get excited about something really smart, but because it's God's word. Jesus is at the center of all of it. It reminds us that God loves us. Jesus loves us and Jesus saves us. He lays his life down for his sheep. He didn't have to. He could have jumped down from the cross at any point. He could have chose not to do what was needed for us. But he chose to be obedient. In John 6, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In Luke 22, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And then Paul, speaking in Romans 5, in verse 19, says, For just as though the, disobedient of the, one, the disobedience of the one man, sorry, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Jesus was the model of obedience and the model of sacrifice. And we're to follow this example. His voluntary and sacrificial example. In him we are free. But we're called to obey. To take up our cross and follow him. So we must know his voice. And we must then follow his path. A discerning ear and an obedient heart. And fifthly we are united. As the church of God, the big sea wider church of God. Verse 16 reads, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and shall, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now remember, in this context, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, okay, the Jewish leaders. They are protective of the Jewish people and especially of their place as leaders, as gatekeepers to the religion. 
They alone were the people of God. No room for outsiders. But here Jesus tells them that there are other sheep from outside this pen and he's going to bring them. That he must bring them. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So outsiders are welcome. Now, that's not like us hearing that, that God is going to bring new people into our fellowship. Okay, that's exciting. Can we agree that we're all excited if new people are going to come into God's church? Yes. No, for, for them, this was offensive. It would mean that the Gentiles, those outside of, of the Jewish people, were going to be included in the kingdom of God. This was quite shocking. And for us, it has something to say about how we view unity in the church. Jesus has told us that there is to be unity. One flock and one shepherd. He's also told us that these sheep will also listen to his voice. Christians are not going to agree about everything, okay? I think we've probably mostly all seen that, yeah? I was at General Assembly the other week, so I can definitely tell you that Christians do not always agree about everything. Whether it's baptism, leadership, communion, worship, whether it's a specific phrase or word in the Scriptures or a wider theological concept, we will agree and we will disagree. There's some discernment to be had as to who knows and listens to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Some of those who are listening may not look like you and me. They may not think like you. They may not act like you. They may not sound like you. And next week we're going to be having somebody come from the other side of the world who will not sound like us, who will be teaching us the scriptures. And some who look, think, act, and sound like us may not be listening to his voice. However, for those who listen to his voice, there is one flock and there is one shepherd. Unity is not an optional extra for the church. Jesus speaks of it here alongside our salvation, our security, our dependence on him, the need to know his voice and obey him. Those seem like pretty key things to our faith, don't they? And alongside that, he speaks of unity. It's not an optional extra. He also, it also speaks to our need personally to be part of the flock. Christianity is not an individual religion. There is, and this is controversial maybe, no such thing as a private personal faith. We each need to personally respond to Jesus' call on our lives, but at that moment, we're drawn into his flock. We're drawn into this church, this people of God, this family, this body, this temple. We, aren't, we can't be off to the side. We are part of his flock. Being part of a local church and part of the wider church is not optional. We'll hear a lot more about this over the next couple of weeks as we think about the family of God and the body of Christ and being the temple. It'll make a lot of sense. It may not always be perfect. Okay? I don't think it ever is. It may even sometimes be painful to be part of his church. Many times the church is completely dysfunctional. 
Okay, I work here every day. A lot of the time, it's very dysfunctional. And it looks sometimes very little like what we imagine is God's design for it. But it's, it's not optional. Sticking with this flock brings that security and that provision that we've been speaking of today. When we come to know Christ, we are part of this flock. Be part of it. So, thinking about the church, being the flock, we've looked at how Jesus is the gate by which we enter into his fold. He's the way by which we are saved only through him. He's the means of security, assurance of our place in the fold, protection from the thief and the robber. He's the way through which provision comes. And Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for his sheep. By his sacrifice, we are saved. And the sheep know, listen to, and follow his voice. He calls us by name. He knows us. He knows me. He knows you. He knows all of us in his flock and calls us by name. And finally, we thought about being his flock. How that offers us security, demonstrates how we are dependent on him, how we, the importance of knowing his voice and then obeying and following his path. And finally, how it speaks to our unity as the flock of the good shepherd. It's not optional. We are united, called to be united as part of this flock. This is us. We are the flock of the good shepherd. Over the next few weeks, we'll talk about being the body, being the family, and being the temple. This is a wonderful design that is the church, that is the people of God. It's how he made us. This is who we are. Let's pray. God, we thank you that as we gather together, we don't just come to sing songs and hear from a book. We come to meet with the good shepherd, the one who provides for us, the one who sustains us, the one through whom we come to be part of this flock, the one who has laid down his life and then called us each to him, the one who knows us by name. God, you know us by name. Help us to appreciate what that means, God, that individually you know us, you know every, every bit of our lives, you know every being here in this room, you love us and you've called us to yourself. And now we are part of this wonderful, messy flock of God. And I pray, Lord, that as this flock, we would be together. We would be united. We would move as one. We would move hearing the voice of the good shepherd. That we would discern what you're saying and what we're to run from and what we're run to. That we would know you and run to you. God, help us this way to, to hear your voice, to see your path clearly in front of us, to see you ahead of us and to follow behind. We thank you for this, Lord, and we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.